happened, it was kind of embarrassing because Jesus had said something that, like, we were supposed to understand it, and none of us did. So uh, afterwards, when a group of disciples gathered, the 12 were there along with a bunch of his other followers, and the 12 took Simon, which they always did, and sent him toward the front of the group and said, you know, ask him the question that we all had, and it's like, uh, Jesus, what did you mean? Because he'd, he'd said that uh, he had just given us the secret of the kingdom of God, that he'd given us the whole deal, right? The secret, but for the life of us, we couldn't figure out what the secret was. And, and, and he kept saying, you know, if anybody has ears to hear, let them hear. We go, well, we got ears, but I don't think we're hearing in the way you mean to hear. You see, he told this parable about this farmer who had taken seed and scattered it all over and uh, different kinds of soil. The plants grew up and sometimes they died and so forth and so on. And, and, and as he started off, you could almost see in the group, in the crowd, you could almost see kind of a glaze kind of come over because it was such a common story. We saw farmers all the time, every day. In fact, I heard a guy next to me go, hey, do you think he knows anything about farming? Because isn't he a carpenter? And, and so they just kind of wonder, but then all of a sudden, everybody was quiet toward the end, and, and you could tell that this was really, really important to him. And then he did the totally unexpected to those of us who were his closest followers later, and, and said, now you've got the secret. You know it all. You know everything that I came to do, and all this kind of, it's like, to see, it's like, yeah, we don't really know. And all of a sudden, we do what everybody does. Whenever you get a little embarrassed, you don't know what to say, don't know what to do, we just got silent. I tried to pretend I knew what he was talking about. I just kind of nodded my head like, oh yeah, I understand. Praying that Jesus wouldn't look at him. Don't let him look at me. Don't let him look at me. He looked right at me. With that look that he has that goes right past your funny look, right past your face and into your heart. And then with that kind of wry, mournful, yet gracious, that convicting yet loving smile that he has he says don't you understand and we all looked at the dirt it was kind of like oh look jesus soil dirt what kind is that one jesus or, or, or other guys were looking at their neighbors, at the guys standing next to them. Kind of like when you're a little kid and you throw a rock and you hit somebody or you break something and you don't want them to think it was you so you look at the other one right that's what we were doing and then Jesus finally breaks the excruciating silence and he explains the whole thing again. Only this time, he tells us exactly what the different kind of soils are. And it turns out the soils are people's hearts, our hearts. And the secret, the miracle is, is that the seed is the word of God and the word of God changes us, it changes the world, it's got the potential to change the empire all by itself. That was the miracle. That was the power to do something that no one or no institution or no empire could ever do. Change and transform the human heart and human hearts of an entire world and an entire society. You know, if you could imagine that you were there when Jesus first told the parable of the sower... 
and you didn't have any Bible study tools, you'd never heard any sermons on the parable of the sower. It's a pretty common parable. When people think of the parables of Jesus, oftentimes we think of the parable of the sower, you know, the farmer sowing the seed and so forth and so on, because you've heard it so many times, because the reality is, is it's clear, we'll see this in a minute, if you don't, if you don't uh, understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables, you're not going to understand any of Jesus' teaching. And so it's a pretty big deal. So, you know, preachers will do it and so forth and so on. But imagine you don't have any of that. You and I would be almost in that same group. Maybe, I hope we would be a part of his closest followers that would gather there toward the end. But we would be a part of that group, right? I mean, because just think about how we've marched through the book of Mark just so far. We're only in chapter 4. You know, give us about 10 months. We're going to get through this thing. But the gospel of Mark... Um, you know, well, so far we've seen the first thing Jesus did is he came and he announced what he was doing here. He announced the gospel, and he said the gospel is, is the kingdom of God has, is on earth now. He, I have arrived. God himself has arrived, essentially. Yes, to, to die on the cross and forgive our sins, but right now he's saying, I, I, it's bigger than that. I want to change everything. And, I, and so to do that, he, he proves it with this authoritative teaching that's more authoritative than other people. He proves it by the authority of his words to, to um, uh, cast out demons and to heal people. And then he comes up and starts to kind of revert back, kind of, kind of a backward look and say, let me tell you why this happens. And he goes to this parable, this story about, about the, the seeds, which we turn to come to find out are the word of God. Now, the reason I'm kind of summarizing that way is because we're not going to go through the whole parable today. We're going to go through Jesus' explanation and all that. We'll, we'll read that. But you've already had a good message on this parable. So when I came to realize that after I'd looked at the ministry plan, I, I realized, you know what? You've already heard a message on this recently, this summer on June 30th, I think it was. Christian Plover did a message on this text, but only in the Matthew version of the text uh, in Matthew chapter 13. And, and it's a good message. You might want to listen to it. I did a message on this text in August uh, of uh, 2018. So we've been trying to get this across. Why? Because it's the central thing. It's all about why do we gather together and hear about the Bible every single week? Why do we continually talk about being literate, being understanding, and just spending time in the Bible and how just that can be transformative? Why do we continue to talk about that? It's because this mystery or the secret that Jesus talks about here. I ran across a statement that sort of summarizes the entire book of Mark, and it all kind of funnels down into this parable of, of the, the sower. And this statement comes from a, a guy by the name of N.T. Wright, and N.T. Wright is one of the, uh, probably the leading New Testament scholar, which you know, is kind of, this, that's kind of funny to me, and here, here's why, this sort of nerd, uh, theology nerd stuff, pastor nerd stuff. Uh, you know, his initials are N.T., which stands for Nicholas Thomas, but it also stands for New Testament. He's a New Testament scholar, huh? And his last name is Wright, the New Testament Wright. Uh, I've been waiting to do that for a long time, but here we go. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really neat, Dwayne. But here's, here's how he summarizes the entire book of Mark. It's pretty good. Mark is a book of secrets, of veils, of mysteries. I, I've heard it another one that uses Churchill's statement. You know, the book of Mark is an enig or a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma. And that's kind of the way it is, but it's not an impenetrable one. Jesus is saying, I've given you the keys to understand what I'm talking about. That's what he's doing here. In fact, that's what he tries to tell this gathering of disciples after he's told the, 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 told the story to the whole crowd. And he kind of, they're off to the side, and they get to kind of ask their question. And here it is, beginning at verse 10, halfway through this, uh, this story. 
When he was alone, does Jesus, with the twelve and the others, so there were others around him, asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, as in right now. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. That, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, they may be ever perceiving but never perceiving, may be ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now that's kind of a weird thing, but that is an Old Testament quote from the book of Isaiah. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at what, what this means. Remember at the end of chapter 3, last week we saw that he had just told the religious leaders, you think you've got it all figured out, but here's the problem. Your consciences, your hearts have been so seared by your wrongful belief and your calling what is of the Spirit, you're calling that the devil's work. So you're, what you're exemplifying to me is you have been so seared, you'll never get it. You've committed the unpardonable sin. You'll never get what I'm up to. You'll never get what God's up to. You think you're following God. It's creepy and scary because it, when you think about it, they thought they were spot on and they were completely off because they had so seared their hearts. And, 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 and um, in chapter 3, he says that, but he also talks about this insider-outsider thing in chapter 3, too. He's still talking about it. Because remember, the, the family that comes to take him away, his, his family, they want to come and take him away because you know, it's, it's just getting too embarrassing. He's t- saying crazy things. And so he's in this group inside a house, and they can't get in. They're on the outside, and they said, hey, your family's outside. He said, well, who is my family? It's these people on the inside. It's a spiritual family. This is, this is uh, my family. This is why I have come. Now, what's important to understand, if we're going to understand how Jesus is revealing this uh, secret here of the kingdom of God, and understanding how Mark is using quotes, when, when you see the gospel writers using quotes, especially Mark of the Old Testament, you need to understand these are quotes that are prophesying the coming Messiah, yes. Just like we celebrated Advent, the coming of the Messiah, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just somebody to help us. It's not a superhuman. It's not somebody that's really, really good. It's God that's being prophesied, that God would come himself, and that that's who this is. And Jesus is saying, now you know, you've seen the power of my words. Now you know the secret of the kingdom of God. I am God. I, I, I am the presence of God here with you. That's why these words have such impact. That's why they have such authority. You see, in a sense, that idea that God is with us, have you ever thought about this? That's Emmanuel, that's what God, Jesus' name means. Remember Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, he tell, the angel uh, Gabriel tells uh, Joseph, hey, call him Emmanuel, remember? means God with us. That's a very hope-giving and hope-filled phrase, God with us. It also can be a little terrifying. Right? It, can, it can be a little unnerving. He is. That, that near us? Yeah. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. And, 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 but, you know, lean into the hope, uh, but let the, the sort of the unnerving part open you up to change that he wants to bring in your life. That's what, what Jesus is really trying to say here. You see, you know, what, what, we're, um, what Jesus is saying is, is, is the word of God has the power to address, has the power to speak to what we all long for. And when I say all, I don't mean one side of the political aisle or the other. I don't mean people that go to church versus people that don't. I don't mean even people who are Christians versus those who aren't. I mean all human beings 
whether they, whether they admit it or not, long for these things. I mean, let's just listen to the things that people say, we need more in this world. We, we, we need these values, not those values. You know, and yes, some of them have been skewed and messed up, but the core values that all humans long for, whether they're secularists or believers, whether they're atheists or not, whether they're you know, part of this revolution or that revolution, all of them still, to this day, speak in language that comes directly from Jesus. All of them still speak to the very words of Jesus, which is the word that changes everything. You know, they want things like hope and peace and knowing that, you know, if there is an eternity, that, 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 that um, you know, things are going to be all right, that, 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 God, that, there, that there's, there's someone or something or some way that things are going to work out, all these kinds of things. I had this illustrated to me this week. And uh, uh, if you're not a rock and roller, this illustration's not going to... Uh, really jive with you, so just kind of bear with me here, but um, I think probably one of the best pop rock groups is just an opinion that's not from Scripture. Uh, of the last couple of decades is a group called Coldplay, okay? And the, yeah, see, don't, don't, don't nod your head because other people don't know who it's talking about. So, um, but, but Coldplay came out with their album Friday, their latest album, and all the critics are going nuts, but I don't think they know what they're going nuts about. They're saying that, they're saying this, oh, it's, it's old Coldplay again. I saw one writer that said, Man, Coldplay is good again. Whoa. And here's the name of the album. It's called um, Life. What is it? Somebody help me. Anybody? Anyway, it's about life. <laughs> but here's, here's what makes it so good. Every single song longs. Everyday life. Thank you. See, I knew it was life. Every single song is a, is a statement of, oh, it'd be so good if this was happening. It's so good if that would happen. Now, please understand me, particularly if you're, you're going to go buy the album or whatever. I'm not saying, this is not a commercial. It's a humanist album. Chris Martin is not claiming to be a Christian. Please understand me. Sometimes we get into trouble because we get things just close enough to Christianity without God, and then we, you know, that, that causes a problem. But, but, but what I'm looking at right now is the longing of this soul and why people are saying, yeah, that's what we want. I mean, here's the crazy thing. There's two songs have the words hallelujah in it. You know what the word hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I don't know if they know what it means, but that's in the song. And there's one song called When I Need a Friend, and, and, it's, and it's sung by a sort of a almost a cappella choir. It's sung in hymn fashion like you're singing it in a cathedral. And the first verse starts with these words, holy, holy dove descend. What's the dove? There's only one holy dove in history that descended, and that's the dove on Jesus at his baptism. Do they know that? I think they know that's what it is, but, but they're probably saying the dove of peace. Yeah, but still, what's the longing for that there be peace among people? But what about peace with God? You know, the, what I'm saying to you is that even as culture gets crazier and crazier and we get a little freaked out and flipped out, it's the word of God that gives us the, the sense and the understanding of what's really going on, the reality of things. What's really happening? It's the filters by which we can see what's really, really true. And, and, and you know, we, we have the reality here that, that there's something real going on that we didn't see before, before we begin to follow Jesus. And that's the miracle of the Word of God. It turns the lights on. And it has the power, we're going to see this in a minute, just kind of giving you a heads up, has the power to change everything all by itself. You know, we're coming up on an eerie anniversary here, February 2nd. On February 2nd, 50 years ago, 
the most famous leading atheist of the 20th century, a guy named Bertrand Russell, died uh, in, in 1970, in February 2nd. And uh, by all accounts, this guy was not, he wasn't like a Richard Dawkins guy, although Dawkins loves this story. He should actually read the story again. Uh, but by all accounts, you know, Bertrand Russell was a decent, nice man in terms of being a nice human being. I mean, he even had Christian friends, G.K. Chesterton knew him and said, you know, he's a decent guy. He just doesn't believe in God and he doesn't want anybody else to believe in God. So he writes this book about why I'm not a Christian and so forth. So he was, a, he was an atheist philosopher. And over the course, he was so famous, a journalist asked him one time, what happens, Dr. Russell, when you die? What if you're wrong and you meet God, what are you going to say? And he said, well, I will say, sir, why didn't you give us more information about yourself? <laughs> Sorry. The, the, he should go back and read Mark chapter 4. Jesus is the living display of who God is. He is he's the living word, and this is the, the revelation of that. That's why they call this whole thing, not just the last book, Revelation. This God has revealed himself over and over, and that's what Jesus is saying. This revelation has the power to change anything, everything. So, so what Jesus, get this, this is pretty, pretty amazing. What, what Jesus is doing here in this parable is he is fulfilling the promise that Ben uh, referenced two weeks ago when he was teaching up here. The, 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 the prophecy and the promise of Jeremiah that said, the, where God says, I will write my word on men and women's hearts. Remember that? He was fulfilling this. He's saying, I'm fulfilling this. I'm putting this in your hearts. I'm writing it on your hearts. It's me that's doing this. This isn't you. This isn't, you know, you've mustered up enough, you know, street cred. You've mustered up enough, you know, Bible knowledge and so forth and so on. No, you've, I've planted my word in your heart because you've read it, you've taken it in, and, and now it has an effect in a life of its own. We see that that's the case because look what happens with the seed when it's planted in hearts, when Jesus explains this parable. Look at this. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand the parable? No. How then will you understand any parable? I don't know. And the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, the Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So, you know, we've seen that, right? We've seen people who, who yeah, they listen, and I was like, bing, he takes it away. Verse 16, others are like uh, the seed sown in rocky places, and hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. We've seen that. It's really fun. It's cool. You know, Christians are not so bad. They're not like sacrificing human beings or anything. That's they're, they're pretty fun to be. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the, the, because of the word, because of my word, they quickly fall away. You know, there's, there's a lot of that going on today. Verse 18, still others are like the seeds sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, you know what worry is? It's backwards meditation. It's remembering the bad thing, the bad thing, the bad thing, the bad thing, until you get yourself in a fix. The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, you know what that is, the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop that is 30 and some 60 and some 100 times what is sown. What, that last verse, that last statement of people who produce those kind of crops, that's not them, is it? It's the power of the word. That's the miracle. 
The thing that's driving this thing called the kingdom of God, the thing that's driving this thing called the family of Jesus, the thing that's driving every believer's life that is changed and truly being changed on and on and being, being more and more, made more and more like Jesus, the power of that is the word of God. That's why we continually harp, read your Bible. That's why we continually say that. Because this word, this revelation is what powers the whole thing. I mean, think about this. Jesus is saying this in the midst of his family doesn't get it. The crowds don't get it. Now he realizes the disciples don't get it. The Romans don't get it. The religious leaders don't get it. And so he's saying, don't you see, guys, this is given to you. This is the gift to you. This is the word of God. It's not up to you to transform the world. It's not even up to you to transform your own heart. The Word of God has the power to do that. Just words. Just words? Yeah, just words have the power to. Cultures are powerful. The culture and the environment that you allow yourself to be placed in, said this last week, will cause you to be formed spiritually a certain way. And over time, you may get far down that track. You might not be able to see any other options. It can form you or conform you. But there's only one thing that can transform you, whether you've been conformed to something else or not, and that is the Word of God, the seed that He plants in your life. That's why He says, read your Bible, not just because He wants us to have a habit. You see, we call this the parable of the sower, but really, you should probably call it the parable of the soils, because it's about the kind of soil that we are, you are, that I am. Are, are we that kind of person? You see, the Word of God is living. It's alive, is what he's saying. And he follows that up with two parables. So there's four parables here. Mark puts them in here at this point. They probably didn't happen in the same time as he said this, but here's what, if you, if you dig into the Scripture, read all the Gospels, you kind of get this idea. If this is that important, this parable of the sower, if it's that important, he wouldn't have only said it once. So it's very possible he put that kind of teaching together with these other parables that Mark happens to put in here, even though it's not the chronological order. But, but he puts two in here, and then there's, there, there's actually four. He puts two in here that we're going to look at because they relate to the parable of the sower. And then uh, the two others, uh, Christian Plover will take next week um, and share with us. Those, those are powerful, powerful. Those are for, more for people, uh, you know, for the general crowd. This is for believers who take in the Word of God, these, these two parables. He says it in verse 21. But he said to them, do you bring a lamp uh, and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. In other words, the truth will come out. It's what Jesus said to Pilate. This is why I came, to show and reveal the truth about what's really real and what's really going on. So, if anyone, verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So, here's, here's what he's saying. This, this business of the lamp, this is actually a first century lamp that a friend of mine brought me back from Israel. This is my first trinket from Israel before I even went. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an oil lamp from the first century. This is the kind of lamp he's talking about. It, it, what's interesting, in the Old Testament, lamp... The, the, the metaphor of a lamp was used over and over again. You know what it refers to in the Old Testament? It refers to God. All these people would have known that. So Jesus is saying, God is here. I am here. The lamp is here. So don't put it under a bed. Don't put it under a bucket. You, you can see if there's something like this. I, I actually filled this one with um, oil early on when I had it. 
and you put a little shoestring out here, a wick, it actually works. It works pretty good, except I think the patina's been worn off or something because it's soaked all the way through. I was afraid I was going to, I would have done it today, but I didn't want to have a, like, start a fire right up here in the middle. So, you know, fiery preaching is one thing, but this, you know, this is different. Um, so, you, you know, you can imagine, though, that flame, if the flame's about this high where my finger is, you, you put it down on the floor, it's not going to light up anything. But if you put it on a stand and it's dark outside, you could see that something like this could light up a whole room, at least the size of this extension on the platform. And that's all the bigger the houses were at that day. So this is a very real deal. What Jesus is saying is, regardless of how big your room is, if you just simply you know, let it shine, it's going to change everything. If you just let my word shine. So what I'm saying is, you know, more importantly, what Jesus is saying here is that there's this power all it is up to us is simply receive the word and not cover it up. There's a certain amount of passiveness to this. And, 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 and he's not saying just, you know, receive the word and then sit back and do nothing. No, he's not saying it. He's saying just live it. Just do it. Don't be obnoxious about it. Don't make a plan. Don't make a strategy. Let me. I got a plan. Just, just live this word out and let the word kind of permeate your life and then permeate your relationships and change everything. Because what the word is, is, as I said, revelation. It reveals what's really real. And because of that, if there's a, it, 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 what he's saying is, as you can put it in this statement, if the if presence of Jesus' kingdom feels hidden to you, it's a matter of receptivity, not reality. It's a matter of whether or not it's, it's received in that context. Because it will have transformative effect if it's genuinely received. Just like the soil. If it's planted, it will have a result. Now let's just think about that in terms of your life and my life and, and, and your environment. Think about work. People don't get all that excited when you start throwing those Bible verses around, do they? <laughs> no. How about school, man? School's changed. I, I I love your young people. I got to speak to them again uh, in, in October. I think I told you about this. They're amazing. You've done a good job. They're really, like they, they love studying the Word together and stuff. I mean, it's just, and they listened. You know, I mean, I, I like talking with you, but I really like talking with them. But what they have to go through and what they have to put up with school, I mean, they have to be afraid if they even bring a Bible to school, if they even ask to have a Christian club after school. It's just getting crazy. I mean, I mean I mean, I'm sure I told this story before because it happened a long time ago in the early days of this church, but we used to meet in schools, you know, before we had this building, and we had all packed up, and there was this one particular school. The first one we met in, actually, was just a few blocks that way. You know which one it is. might have the initials Oregon Trail on it, but it, uh, the administration's changed. Everything's different, so I'm, th I'm sure it's a great school. But uh, the uh, next uh, Monday after this Sunday, uh, we, uh, I got this phone call from the secretary saying the principal needs to see you. And I thought, you know, I have not been called in the principal's office since third grade. Because <laughs> it was that direct, right? But that other story, that's another story. We don't want to go there. But um, so I walk in there, and I thought, you know, we'll have some chit-chat, get to know this guy, don't know this guy, uh, whatever, you know, and we're renting the school, and, I, you know, I don't know if he wants us to or not, but the administration said we could. And, uh, so he doesn't say hardly, but he says, hi, please sit down. Reaches down, sits down, reaches, uh, pulls out a drawer, reaches in the drawer, takes this, his, this book out, and it's a Bible that's about this thick. It's a study Bible. And he shoves it toward the front of the desk. He says, this was left yesterday. 
I said, oh, thanks. I'll, let's see. I'll, I think I know who that is. I'll give it back to him. Thank you. Well, no, no, you don't understand. I said, what? What if a student had picked that up and read it? And I'm a bad man. I was, I was not a nice guy. Right? I, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was not great. That was exactly the wrong thing to say. But so he, 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 we, it went downhill from there. So I left. And, but it just struck me. That was like almost two decades ago. And, and, and you know, today in our environment, you know, and, and I know that I, I get to study and read my Bible while you have to take your kids to soccer. But, you know, I'm sure that's your reality today. You, you're kind of looking around and, okay, where is this going to be received? Where is it not going to be received? What about, what about uh, people who, uh, this Thanksgiving, you're just not even sure about your family because you, maybe you're the only Christian and it's like, you know, you, you love your family and that's good and you should and you should be there, but you just, you want to be a little careful because you don't want to set somebody off. Or, or maybe you're a parent and you're wondering about how to raise your kids in the way of Jesus, or a single parent especially, and you're a little bit worried. What Jesus is saying here is so encouraging to any one of those environments. He's saying, I can plant my word. You take the word in there with you because it's in your heart, and when the time comes, I'll let you know if you need to let it out. But it's got the power to change you and the power to change your environment and to change your city and to change your country and to change the empire all by itself. It's got that kind of power to it. It might not seem like it, but that's because we got people walking around that aren't receptive to it. And God's making his moves bit by bit, practice by practice, moment by moment, uh, that people live this out. And, and so, you know, if you look at this, what you realize is, is Jesus, in, in, a, um, in another uh, context, says the same thing in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where, and he gives this lampstand illustration. He says, just let your light shine. You let it shine. Just let, be who you are. Be natural and normal about who you are as, a, as my person, as a part of Jesus' family, and I'll take it from there. That's what he's saying. And, and the beauty of this is, is you know, we, we Americans, we love to win. We love, uh, we're going to forget the football games tomorrow. We love to win, and we love to be successful. We love stories about people taking reality by the throat and making it happen. Of course, that was God that let that happen, but, you know, let it happen, right? We love those success stories. Not saying we shouldn't be ambitious. That's a different thing. We love those kinds of things, but in the reality is that sometimes we miss the opportunity. God, over and over again, Jesus, over again, when, when his seed has been planted in the midst of a darker world or a darker situation, it has just as much power, but it shines brighter. I read a, I read a, a, a quote from Rick Warren. You know, years ago, some of us were really kind of following and tracking with him, and he'd say these things that sound so simple and so, okay, well, whatever. But they're turning out to be true. And he, he, I heard him say this again uh, recently. He says that, you know, the darker, the darker and darker culture in the age gets, uh, the better off for the church because we shine brighter. And God does better things. God can take the very, because of the word of God, it's got the power to take the very things that we think are the darkest things and turn them into Light, shining light. That's, that's, there's nowhere else you've got that. Where else can you have the mind and the heart transformed? Who, who else, whatever institution can reach in there and change somebody's heart and mind? If you're married, you know that's not possible for a human being to change somebody else's heart and mind. And if you got married thinking you were going to change them, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. That's 
That's the reality uh, that he is saying here. It's that great and powerful. In fact, he doubles down on it in this next parable. Look at this. Consider carefully what you hear. The measure that you use, it will be measured to you and even more. In other words, if you think I can pull this off, better for you. Just keep believing that. But if you, if you measure it like, ah, that can't be real, well, don't be surprised if I, you're not receptive to what I want to do. So ask yourself, what's the measure that you measure things by? Do you measure uh, by your emotional feel and how it feels? Do you measure it uh, by, uh, you know, the fear maybe? Some, I think we get suspicious that some of us, as Christians even, we get a little bit afraid. We kind of pull back because, like, if I really let go, God's going to take the whole thing over. And what will he do then? You know, that kind of feel. Or, or kind of, a, you know, we, we, we measure it by, uh, you know, glitz or, or brand. There was a, a branding movement among the church even uh, recently. I don't know if it's still going or not. Where, you know, they, it's all about the brand. It's all about the glitz and the show. And, you know, what, what is it that you measure? By how many celebrities signed up? to be Christians or not? I mean, that's why, you know, we got to be cautious about all that stuff. What's the real measure? The measure is, is that this is God's thing, not my thing. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about now. It's not about then. And, 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 and so the reality is, is that he's saying, I can even transform your measure so that it's even more power and you see it. And then he makes a statement that doesn't seem to relate at first, but hang on, because it does. Look at this, verse 25. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. <laughs> oh, what are you saying, Jesus? That doesn't sound very nice. Well, he's not, for one thing, he's not talking about economically. This is, he, Jesus was not a TV televangelist. He was not a health and wealth gospel dude. He wasn't saying that stuff. He was saying, if you have more of me, if you have more of my word, uh, you'll get even more. But if you don't have it, then, you know, the devil will come along and swoop it away, just like the, the crows or the, the birds that, that took it off the hard soil. In fact, to sort of explain this, and then so we can move to the point, uh, let me just sh share with you a, a statement, a short statement, from uh, a commentary by Dr. James Edwards, who's a professor of New Testament up at Whitworth University, that really is, helpfully explains this. The degree to which one hears the parables, the extent to which one allows the kingdom to break upon oneself, that's sort of the, the measure which you use, will determine the measure of one's understanding. Those who hear, those who, knock, those who hear, those who knock until the door is opened will find the kingdom disclosed to them. But those, who, uh, those of hurried search whose knock at the door of life is tentative or brief will find a once joyous invitation. You know, it's really fun. Church people are cool. It's great. To enter the kingdom of God to enter the kingdom, to have faded into a mirage of disbelief. Pretty soon it's just not that cool. And, and, and that's what Jesus is saying. I want to give you more and more so you really realize how miraculous and wondrous. That's the secret of living the Christian life. And it starts with the seed and being open to seed and asking God for more and more and more. But this business about giving and taking, it's got both verses in it. It says, whoever has will be given, whoever has will be taken. So who's doing the giving and the taking? Well, it's God, right? I, I, I have to do uh, one more little mo note of pastoral confession. I have a friend, and he's still my friend. I just saw him this week. In spite of the story I'm about to tell you, he's still my friend. Um, in the early days, this was uh, many years ago now, um, 
before uh, Sharon and I were even married, um, this friend, um, I got to know him because he had moved out here from Minnesota. And see, I had been involved in a ministry called Young Life, and we had actually started the club out at Barlow High School. And um, I was the music guy. I was the, the, uh, the guitar player and stuff. So don't let anybody know that because I don't want the band to ask me to play. So um, I can't do it anymore. But anyway, I played all the time, all the time, all the time. And so I was getting tired of it, and so I thought, oh, I hear this guy's a really good guitar player. And he was. He was a good guitar player. He had a band and was, you know, a rock star in those days. And I said, hey, this is great that you're here, and it's good to get to know you. And I kind of got close to him, just maybe for this reason. And um, and I said, hey, I want you to come to Young Life, and you can start leading songs and and working with me on this, and then, you know, you can take over. And he goes, no, I don't think I'm ready for that. I don't want to do that. So I pulled out this verse and the verse about, you know, the the, the, uh, talents, that if you don't use your talent, God will take it away. And he said, oh, I don't don't want him to take it away. I said, well, you better come play a Young Life. I'm a bad man. But I feel much better that I confess that to you now because that's the exact opposite. It doesn't illustrate the point at all except that saying, that's exactly what he's not saying. What he's saying is, is that God giveth and God taketh away, to use the King James the fifth words. But he's cheering for the first one. Why? Because that's God's nature. He's a giver, not just of money resources, but of life at all socioeconomic levels, of peace, of hope, of all the transformative things that the gospel does, the Bible, the, the seed of word of God does. He's the giver. He, he, God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. That's what he's cheering for. He's cheering that you and I will be receptive to the word. He's not trying to beat, beat the soil. He's trying to say, hey, don't you want to be that person? The person who, who gets more because they are receptive to me? A couple of weeks ago, uh, the full-time staff and I got to hear uh, a guy uh, that had been brought to town by the Palau organization and the Gospel City movement. They bring in speakers every uh, once or twice a year. And uh, this guy's named uh, Dr. James K.A. Smith, Jamie K. Smith for us hipsters in Portland, we call him Jamie. Uh, but he uh, has written a, several famous books. I mean, the guy's a brainiac. He, he's uh, he's uh, written a book on secularism that's kind of taken the, the younger church by storm. The, you know, how do, how do you survive in this world? And so it's, it's a really good book. And, and anyway, this time now he's written a new book on St. Augustine. And uh, he, he was at this conference, he was teaching, and he said something interesting about Augustine that I want to just show you. Um, Augustine was a, was a Christian, a bishop, a church leader in the 300s. And that might sound, ah, you've got to be kidding me. You're going historical again. No, no, no. You know, if, if you read the translations today, not the King Jamesy translations, but the translations in modern English of Augustine, you will be stunned. I mean, I had forgotten about this. I, as a result of hearing Dr. Smith, I, I got a couple of books of his sermons, and I, I'm just stunned at how relevant they are today because he was living in the demise of the Roman Empire, and he was living in a world that was kind of falling in on itself too, and they're just so powerful. It's just really helpful. But he said, you know, one of Augustine's favorite verses, the thing that kind of fueled him in many ways, was 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Look at this. It says, for who makes you different from anyone else? Not what, who. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you have me, if you have more of me, you'll get even more of me. 
Whoever has me, my word, will get more of my word, more of me. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? That's the view. That's the question that can drive a life into complete change in Jesus. That's the revelatory question. That's the revelation question. Who gave you all you got anyway? Who gave you all that you are anyway? That kind of changes, doesn't it? And see, what happens then is what Jesus is asking us by taking in his word is these little practices day in and day out. You know, you read the Bible. You read the word. You have a devotional time. Why? Because, you know, the pastor says you should? No. Because you're a disciplined person? No. Not because of that. Because you really do want, over time, you want bit by bit with little practice after little practice to God to transform you and give you more of himself and give you more of himself and your church family more of himself and, and, on and, and, and spread it out and spread it out and spread it out. You want to be there for your Christian friends. You want to be there for your family. You want to be there for your non-Christian friends. And, and little by little, that's what he puts together for you and I. It's why we do Thanksgiving. What is it? It's an overflow. It's an outflow of what God's given us, because he's the one that gave it. I don't have anything that, that, that wasn't given to me by him. That's why we do it. That's why we do worship where we actually pass these little bags and we give in the midst of a worship service. It's worship. It's not just about getting money. It's about the worship of it. Little by little, these practices, these daily practices, the reminders of who we are and who it is that makes us different. Little by little, he transforms us, not just forms us into a new version of the old me, but a brand new me. That's how it works. That's how he does it. He's told us exactly the secret of the power of the word of God, the secret of the kingdom of God. That's exactly it. That's how it works. And because of that, verses like our, you know, our overflow verse, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, begins to make sense. I, I quoted for you chapter, verse 12 last week. Let's start at verse 11 this week. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every occasion. Do you believe that? I'll admit there was a time when I didn't. I'm assuming there's somebody here that's a little skeptical of that one. But if Jesus is who he says he is and his word is as powerful as he said it is, that's True. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, this little practice that you're doing of taking up this offering for people who need it, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing with many expressions of thanks to God. It's like people are looking at it and go, well, thank God for Christians. I never thought I'd say that, but look at what they're doing. That's what he's saying. It spreads out all over, gives thanks and glory to God. You know, there's a fact in the New Testament that over and over and over again, much of the New Testament, maybe most of the New Testament, is, you know, people talking about or teaching or expressing, whether it's Jesus, the Apostle Paul, Peter, how do you live in the midst of an age that is getting darker and darker and further away from God, seems to be? How do you live as a God follower and Jesus follower in that world? How do you live the way of Jesus? And, that, and it gives us all kinds of practical things. The Apostle Paul is, is really good at this. He's really on to this all the time. He writes in his letters all the time and says, hey, let me give you a clue. Here's a little practice. Practice this. And God will take that and bring his word into more fruition in your life and so forth and in your church family and so forth. One of those, one of those letters is a, is a letter to a group of people called the Thessalonians. They were from Thessalonica. And Thessalonica today is called Thessaloniki. 
Sharon's been there. There's a giant, giant refugee camp there from Syria. All those refugees that came from that horrible, horrible seven, eight-year-long civil war over there, decade-long war now, I think, they came across uh, the Mediterranean to Greece, Thessaloniki, and that's where they're being housed. It's a horrible, difficult situation. In Paul's day, the Thessalonians were one of uh, the Christians there were one of the you know churches that were most persecuted and had a difficult time, and there were riots, uh, anti-Christian riots, and stuff like that. And so Paul writes to them about how do you navigate in this culture? How do you live in this culture? Because some of them were, it was getting so bad they were just quitting their jobs, selling their businesses, going to their houses, and waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, he didn't come back today, you know that kind of thing. And so here he tells us he tells them exactly how to do it. Look at what he says. Now, as to the love of the brethren, that is loving one another. You have no need for anyone to write for you because you're doing a good job of that. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, which was the entire region of Greece they were in. They're in the northern section. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Oh, how's that, Paul? What should we do? Well, I want to make it your ambition... So speaking of ambitious, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and create a strategy and an approach that will kick the Romans' rear end. Oh, it doesn't say that. To come up with answers that completely destroy the arguments of your friends at the coffee shop. Doesn't, no, it doesn't do that either. To lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands. That's not a command from God. It's, that's what they did just as we commanded you, so that you will behave. In other words, Paul's saying, do good, whatever the business is, you be the best at that you can be. But the reason is, is so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Your, voc- your, your, your occupation really fuels the vocation of being a called person of God, which is really every Christian's vocation. And he's saying, you just do that, and God's going to take care of the rest. God's going to provide the rest. I was thinking about this verse this week and thinking, you know, and please, understand, please listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the whole thing. This is, this is the last thing I'm going to say, but listen to the whole thing because um, I don't want to be misunderstood. The, the world of the West is in decline. You probably already know that. That's probably not real, really controversial. The secular world is starting to fall in on itself. And even secular people who've bought into that, even people who say, yeah, that's the way, are starting to say, maybe this isn't the way. Kind of like the Coldplay crowd. Maybe this isn't it. And, and I, I honor those people because they're at least being honest, right? And, 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 and I've thought to myself, what is it that God would call us in our age and in our time if we just lived that part of his word out, that, it, that he would use that to change everything? And you know what I think it is? I think it's refusing to be people of hyper-individualism. I'm not saying we all become socialists and communists. Please understand, this is not a political thing. It's, it, it's across the aisle. It's over the, this hyper-individualism of my rights and my thing. And it's okay if you have your rights too, but just mine first. And if ours clash, let's just see who can knock the other one down. I mean, the, you know, whether it's be the, you know, this cause or that cause or whatever it is, it's just hyper-individual. It's what you've heard me harp on too many times already, the autonomous self. What if we, like this group of young people pre uh, 
uh, World War II in Germany, saw what the Nazis were doing, and they stood up, and some of them gave their lives for it at 18 or 19 years old. They became known as the refuseniks because they refused to do stuff. They hid Jews in their homes and stuff like that. What if we as Christians refused to go the way of, of you know, fighting back? Or sorry, what if we just simply said, you know what, we're going to be people of gospel love because gospel love doesn't just look out for me. It trusts God to look out for me and looks out for the, the need of the others. That's what Jesus said. My command to you is you love one another as I've loved you. Do it as I've loved you. Show gospel love. What if we did that? In America, what if the church did that? What if Christians did that for one year? Do you think this country would be changed? That we refuse to live by hyper individualism and instead live by gospel love? How about six months? Do you think Happy Valley would be changed? How about three months? Do you think the word would start going out? What is going on over there? I think it would. I mean, it would be a phenomenal thing. I think that's what Jesus is saying. It's not up to you to do it. I'm planting my seed, I'm planting my word, it'll happen. But you've got to be receptive to what? I want to do, because now I've told you the secret of it. I've told you where we're headed. Just keep day by day, 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 living that out, living my love, out, gospel love out, and, the gospel, and, and understand what the gospel is by hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word, taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. Help each other. Be family together. And that's how it spreads out and overflows in thanksgiving. Let, I'm going to ask you to pray for that this holiday season as we celebrate God coming to earth. That's what we're celebrating Thanksgiving to Christmas. Just pray that we'll have a lot of people coming through here. Just pray that that'll happen for people in our town, in our city. Whether they stick or not, just pray. That's the main thing, that lives would be changed. That's why we exist as a church here, to see Jesus change people's lives. Let me pray for us and with us about that. Lord, I just pray that as we pray, you would honor these prayers, that, you, that you'd remind us to pray. And to ask you to do what you do and only you can do, which Jesus promised in this parable and in these parables that he's teaching us, these teachings that this is the thing that fuels everything that we are as a family, as a church family, as a, as a, as a people that are, are yours. Help us live the way of Jesus in the, in the way that is empowered by your word. Because we can't do it. We recognize that. We, 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 we confess to you that we can't. We need the power the miracle of the word planted in us. And I pray, Lord, that you would make that happen and that this Christmas and Thanksgiving season, that this would be a time that we would be changed and see that you're at work more and see your presence more fully and that in the process, people's lives would be changed all across the board and outside the doors. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for coming and showing us this way. Thank you for being here and walking with us and for giving us your Holy Spirit day by day to guide us into it. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.